this morning, uh, the subject, the very first subject that I want to talk about is the subject of appetites. But before I do, um, have you guys ever had Walmart's beef jerky? Like, I get it. Like, when you buy something from the store, you're not supposed to get the store brand. You know, great value brand probably is not, not always the best thing to get. But seriously, their peppered beef jerky, incredible. Like, smells so good. Oh, I just, I will get this stuff and devour it. I'll even hide it from my children because it's so good. That's, that's a horrible thing to say. I really don't hide it from my children. But if I had the chance to and fe didn't feel guilty about it, I would. It's so incredible. It's just, mm. Like, you know how, like, beef jerky is, like, beef jerky is good, but you put a little pepper on it and it's kind of, it's kind of moist. It's just, mm. Mm. So good. You know what really goes good with beef jerky? Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh, so good. Y'all for real. Mm. This truly goes down as the breakfast of champions. Mm. So, I don't want to talk to you today about your appetites for food. However, the beef jerky is good. Instead, what I want to talk to you about is your spiritual appetites. And before I talk too much more, I'm going to get rid of this beef jerky in my mouth. Mm. So good. We'll bring that back up later. Instead of talking about the beef jerky anymore, I want to tell you a story. And it's a story that, that probably will sound familiar. Maybe it's a story that some of you, at least at the beginning, will feel like you're in. There once was this young man, and he worked on the farm with his dad. And he had to get up first thing in the morning and milk cows. And then there were the chickens. He had to take care of them and give them food. And then he had to pick up the eggs. And then later on in the day, he had to feed the calves, and he was always just, it was just work all the time, and life just felt like it was just work. You know, you woke up in the morning, you started working, and you didn't finish working until you went to bed at night. And in time, this young man kind of got tired of working. He was like, man, I feel like life has more to offer than just this work. And so he noticed that there were friends of his that would do other things besides work. There were, I mean, his rich friend down the road partied all the time. Like, he could get up at 10 o'clock in the morning. He didn't have to get up before 10. And he didn't go to bed until like 1 o'clock in the morning, you know? He was just like a party animal and had so much fun. And this guy didn't get to join his friend nearly as often as he liked to because he was always spent all his time working. So he hatched this plan, this brilliant idea. He said, Things were a little different in this time. He, he went to his dad, and he said, Dad, I need all of my inheritance. Everything that you owe me. Now, now I see lights going off. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I do know this story. I need all of my inheritance. Everything, everything that I'm promised, I want you to give me. I want you to go ahead and give it to me now. Well, culturally in this time, of course, I'm telling the story of the prodigal son. Culturally in this time, that was acceptable. And so the father cashed in a portion of what he had. 
Now this, this son, this young man was the younger of two sons. So he didn't get the larger portion, he got the smaller portion. His older brother got the larger portion. That's just the way inheritances worked then, right? But he got all of his portion. And he took it off and he decided that he was going to live like his neighbors. However, he was smart enough where he knew that if he stayed around home, he might get involved back in work and have to be stuck with the stuff. So he wanted to go off and live his life somewhere else. Maybe he went off to the big city or maybe he went off to another community where he knew people. We don't have specifics on that, but he went off and he started living up this money. He started filling his appetite because he had appetites. He had appetites for fun. He had appetites for freedom. He had appetites for independence. He had appetites for parties. And he started filling those appetites. Now, after some time, his money ran out. And as it turns out, friends of people with money sometimes disappear when the money disappears because they're more friends of the money than they are of the person. And his friends disappeared. And so he didn't have money, and he didn't have friends, and he didn't really have anything um, to show for all the money that he had spent. And so he decided to hire on with a local farmer, because farming was what he knew. And so he hired on for a local farmer, and he started working for this farmer, and this farmer had him, this farmer was a pig farmer. Now, I don't know, I don't know how farming goes on scales, but I can think that pig probably isn't at the top of the list of places that you want to farm. So this guy was taking care of the pigs, and he would, he would dump out this, this slop to the pigs, the, the, you know, whatever it was that they were feeding the pigs, and he was so hungry at times that Jesus says that he wanted to, to eat it himself. I'll, I don't know if any of you have pigs and what you feed your pigs, but I mean... My dog gets better food than pigs, and I've never looked at my dog food and been like, man, that looks good, right? It's never happened for me. So after some further time, he started thinking, he, saw, he thought to himself, you know what? The servants of my dad that worked on the farm with us at home, the servants got to actually eat food. They actually got their food taken care of for them. They weren't completely destitute. He's like, maybe, maybe I could just go home because after you've worked on a pig farm, working on a, a dairy farm or a chicken farm probably didn't look that bad. He's like, maybe I could go home and go back to my work life from before and just be a servant to my dad. And so he went home. Now, the reason that I'm continuing to tell you this story, we've already talked about this young man's appetites, and, but there's more appetites in this story that I want to talk about. The reason I continue to tell you this story is because when he came home, his father came running out to meet him. And you've, you've read the story, right? He came running out to meet him and he said, let's kill the fatted calf and, and let's put a robe on him and let's just deck him out and then let's bring him in and let's have a party because my lost son has returned. And what does his older brother say? I always kind of felt bad for the older brother because guess what? All this time, the older brother was still up before dawn, you know, out working the cattle, right? And so the brother who is the goody two-shoes of the story, said, this isn't fair. How does he get a fatted calf, and I've never had a fatted calf? How does he get a party, and I've never had a party? I've done all these things, all this time. Why? And the father said, he was gone all this time, and everything that I have is yours, which is true. 
Because his inheritance, everything that remained of the inheritance, the whole farm and everything went to the older brother. It was all going to him. He said, everything that I have is yours, not just one simple fatted calf. Your brother was lost and is now found. But the older brother had appetites too. His appetites were maybe a little darker. They looked like pride um, and arrogance. Those are also appetites. So this morning, I want to talk about spiritual appetites. And we'll use the story of the prodigal son to reference back to a little bit. First of all, though, the first thing that we have to recognize with appetites is that we all have spiritual, we all have appetites that are not spiritually correct. We all have sinful appetites that we're born with because of our sin nature. That's the first thing, and we have to realize that. And I realize that may seem simple to y'all. It's like, oh, duh, of course. But it's important that we recognize that and state that. The prodigal son, we already said, how he was hungry for his parties, his fun. He wanted to be out there. When I was, um, well, actually, before I tell you this story, I want to look at a couple of passages, and, and they're short, so you don't have to turn there with me. Romans 3.23, I'll just read this one, and then I'll have you turn to another one with me. But Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's very inclusive. All have sinned. That means that everyone in this room has fed an appetite that was not correct with God. That's me. That's all of you. Now, when we think about that, and I know that you all know this, but when you actually think about that and realize that, that all have sinned, then it means that we should all be working together to correct those appetites, right? We become a team. We've already become a team in that we've all sinned, and that wasn't a good team, so now we should become a team in trying to fix that. If you want to, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're just going to look at a couple verses in 1 John chapter 2. It's verses 15 and 16. I'll give you a moment to get there. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Notice there it says, all that is in the world, and then it lists the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. We are born with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, pride, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And because of that, we have appetites that aren't right. When I was young, a child, I went to, um, and I say a child, and I went like this, as if that tells you how old I was. Um, so maybe, let's say, five or six. I, was, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was young. May not have even, probably may not have even been that old. Four or five. Let's go with four or five. Went to a friend's house and was playing there in their playset, and like they had a toy box. And in the toy box, one of the things in the toy box was, you know how like lamps sometimes hang from ceilings and they're on chains? They had one of those chains, and it was about that long. And that chain was the coolest toy ever. 
And I know some of you probably can't identify with that, but I thought that chain was the coolest toy ever. And I wanted that chain. I played with that chain all night. And somehow, magically, at the end of that night, that chain found its way into my pocket. And I don't know, it just probably climbed in there itself. You know how chains tend to do that. So I get home, and my parents, my parents find out that I have this chain. And they know where it came from. And so, of course, then I was in trouble, right? So I got punished, and then as part of my punishment, too, I had to go and apologize and, and take the chain back. It was a chain. Why, why was I, why did I have an appetite for a chain? Why was it that this simple little chain was something that I wanted so bad? See, we've got things that are built into us. And some of you probably noticed these signs when you walked in the door. Did you notice these? Raise, it, raise your hand if you saw these signs back there. Okay, good. A lot of you did. All right. So did any of you touch this poster? Raise your hands if you did. All right. We got a couple. All right. Yeah. All right. Good. Good. A couple honest people. Did anyone touch this poster? Raise your hands if you did. Okay. All right. Now tell me, did any of you want to touch this poster? Raise your hands if you did. All right. A lot of hands. All right. Did any of you really want to touch this poster? Hardly anyone. Why is it that you wanted to touch the poster that says, do not touch this poster, but you didn't care about touching a poster that says, you can touch this poster? What is that? What is that in you? It's your appetite. What if this poster said, you have to touch this poster? Would have any of you wanted to touch it? Probably not, right? Because it says I have to touch it, so I really don't want to have to touch it. In fact, I could probably just not touch it and pretend that I didn't see it, right? See, it's amazing that we have this natural appetite in us that makes us wish to do the things that we shouldn't. And Paul talks a lot about this in his writings. He says that I, I want to do the things that I shouldn't do, and I fail and I do those things. And so we all have appetites. And, and as these posters show, sometimes those appetites are so subconscious that we don't even think about it. You probably didn't even think about the fact of why you wanted to touch that poster so bad. It just said, do not touch it. And something inside of you said, I really got to touch it. <laughs> right? See, Adam and Eve actually weren't, weren't created with the sin nature. But Satan figured that out too, right? He went up in front of Eve and, and he convinced her to, to do the thing that she shouldn't. And then after that, after Adam and Eve both sinned, from that point on, everyone was born with that sin nature. That means that everyone comes up wanting to touch the poster that says, do not touch. As a parent of children, I have seen this so many times. Sometimes it almost seems like it's better to tell the child that they must do something so that they won't do it if you don't want them to do it, right? But uh, that's, not the, that's not a good way to parent, don't get me wrong. Now, that being said, the people around us influence our appetites as well. So the people that you're around influence your appetite as well. This is, this is obvious from the very beginning of time that where, where Satan influenced Eve, and then Eve influenced Adam, right? It was just this thing of saying, well, you know, look at what Eve said to Adam. She said, well, you know, let's, 
I, I ate and, and things are fine. You know, you can too. And, and what Satan say? Well, will you really die? So Jim Rohn, who's a motivational speaker, says this. He says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Think about that. Think about your five people that you spend the most time with. Maybe your five closest friends, or maybe it's family, right? And then average them out, and then that's who, that's who you're going to turn into if you keep that up. Now, that's just a, a statement by a motivational speaker, but I'll go further than this and say that according to research by the social uh, I'm sorry, psychologist Dr. David McClellan of Harvard, the people that you habitually associate with determine as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. As much as 95% of your success or failure in life. I am not as young as all of you, but, you know, I try to kind of somewhat keep up or kind of watch, you know, the, the new sayings and the new things. And, like, one of the things that I've seen now that goes around is this, this squad goals thing, right? You want, you want squad goals? Make sure your squad isn't bringing you down. That's squad goals for you. I realize that you're probably not going to Instagram that, but that's, that's truly what it's about. Make sure that you're five closest people are people that are lifting you up and make sure that you're lifting them up too. Influence goes a long way in, in determining your appetite. So first thing is realizing that we all have an appetite. The second thing is understanding that nothing we can do in and of ourselves can fix our appetite. There's nothing you can do to fix your own appetite in and of yourself. Some years ago, 11 years ago, as you can tell when it gets old, it's tough to keep track of time, so sorry. Maybe 11 years ago, I was, I was riding dirt bike with some friends of mine. And we had ridden for the large portion of the day. We had went out, it was a Saturday, and we had ridden for most of the day, and we were on this kind of this controlled course, and like, yeah, it had some jumps and stuff, but you know, we were just kind of cruising along, right? And we rode for most of the day, and the day was all, the day was, I thought the day was done. We had pulled in for the last time, and we were drinking the Gator, our Gatorades, and you know, it was, the day was over, and then one of the guys was like, this is how your five friend, closest friends influence you, I guess. One of the guys was like, we should go again, one more time around the loop. I was kind of tired, but I'm not going to say no to one more time around the loop. So I get up, and, and I hop on the dirt bike, and we're going. And this loop, it's a long loop. It's probably a five-mile loop through the woods. And, and it starts, it, it, was, it was a paid facility that we went into, so you, know, you pay when you went there. So it's a, it's a set-up loop, and it starts kind of at the beginning at the front buildings, and it goes way back into the woods, and then it comes back out to the building again when you're done. So... We're riding, and we're at the very back of this thing, at the far back, and there's this long, straight stretch, and we're just kind of getting it along through there. And I don't, all of a sudden, I end up with my dirt bike on top of me. I don't really know how. The guy behind me said it looked like I grabbed a handful of front brake, that I just went over the front. But there was no reason to brake, and I have no idea what happened. I don't know if there was some kind of failure in the bike or what, but I ended up with the bike on top of me. And... I, I was like, man, this is, this is not good. 
how'd this happen? And so I go to pull the bike up, and, and the muffler was laying right here. So it took that patch of skin with it. It just came right up with the muffler. And I've still got a nice little, nice little scar there that no hair grows on. So that came off with the muffler, and, and I threw the bike off of me, and then I got up, and I'm like, I'm all right, I'm all right, we can do this, I'm all right. And so I'm walking around, I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay, guys, I'm okay. And they're like, you probably sit down. I'm like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, we're good. And then I was like, but my left leg hurts a little bit. And so I, of course, had on boots, so I'm like, I should take my boot off, and none of my friends were smart enough to say, no, don't do that. So I'm, I'm there, I'm taking my boot off, and when I take my boot off, my foot just falls. It won't hold itself up at all. Right? It kind of hurts to hear, doesn't it? <laughs> Hannah's still over there suffering. <laughs> so my foot just falls, and, and I'm like, well, that's probably not good. <laughs> and so... I, I'm, I'm also like, well, I probably can't ride the dirt bike out like this, so what are we going to do? So my, my one friend goes zipping around the rest of the course and gets out to the front to tell them that they need to come get me, right? And so they come back in a mule, and I'm not talking about a clip-clop mule. I'm talking about like the kind of mule that you drive, you know what I'm talking about, right? So they bring this mule back there, and, and I hop in this thing. So there I am, I'm in this thing, and we're going over jumps, except, of course, we're going slower, so it's not actually jumps, but we're going over bumps and stuff, and I got like one hand up here holding on to the top of this mule, and the other hand, I'm supporting my leg, and my foot's just bouncing, you know, <laughs> right? And so we get all the way back around the longest two-and-a-half-mile drive on a mule I've ever been through. We get all the way back up to the front, and by that time, the ambulance had arrived, right? They were waiting on me when I got there. So I get in the ambulance, and they take me to the hospital. And so there I am, you know, Saturday evening, and I'm at the hospital, and, and the doctor at the hospital, you know, he, of course, he takes the x-rays and stuff, and I'm, I'm a filthy mess. Like, they probably had to burn that poor hospital bed when I was done. I mean, I have dust all over me and everything, right? So... They take the x-rays and they come back and he's like, yeah, you, you man, you shattered your ankle. Like, it's, it's, it's not good. It's going to take surgery. This is not like a set it and leave it kind of situation. This is a surgery situation. Now, at that point, I'm going to stop the story there for now. I'll catch you up later. I'll tell you more. But I'm going to stop the story there for now. But at that point, I realized that there was nothing that I could do to fix my leg. I couldn't do it. There was no, there was no magic about fixing it. There's no way that I could just say, hey, be better and it was going to be better. There's no way that I could just say, you know what, I'm just going to deal with this and gingerly walk on it, right? It just didn't work that way. That's the way that your appetites are, and I'm afraid that sometimes we think, oh, I can get my appetites under control. I can do this. I can figure out a way to make this appetite not be as bad. And so we begin to process that way, and that's, that's impossible. You cannot fix your appetites in and of yourself. James 1.14 says, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away, notice here, of his own lust, that's your physical, your appetite, of his own lust and enticed. Every man is tempted. You can't get rid of that temptation. The prodigal son was drawn away of his own lust, and, and ultimately he came to the point where he realized that he also could not fix his own situation. There was nothing he could do. He was feeding pig slop. There was nothing he could do. Have you realized this morning how incapable you are of fixing your appetite? Because if you haven't, I want you to. You can't fix it. Not by yourself. 
Ephesians 6, please turn there with me. Ephesians 6. We'll start at verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice how it tells us that we can be strong. In the Lord and in the power of his might. We'll continue reading through verse 13. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, the last part of this fascinates me. Because the last, notice the last part of this passage. Verse 13 says, Take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now this, this particular phrase in there, having done all, was kind of confusing to me. It's, having done all? What, what all? So think about it this way. If you're a firefighter, I think that's the correct term now. We don't say fireman anymore, right? We say firefighter. If you're a firefighter and and you're going to go fight a fire, there's particular equipment that you put on. I spent a while being a, a volunteer firefighter, and so I had all the equipment. And so, you know, you, you put the boots on and the britches and, you know, suspenders and then the, the coat and then the helmet. And you have the, the, the air pack and all this stuff. And you do all of that before you go fight the fire. Now, if you decided that you were in a hurry to fight the fire and you just run into the building, you know, with a hose in hand, how long do you think you're going to last? With no equipment, just run in there. Probably not very long, right? That's us trying to say that we can handle our own appetite. Just nothing on, just running in. You're going to get burnt bad over and over and over again. This says, having done all. That means we put all of it on. Put on the whole armor of God, right? So obviously the most important part to controlling your appetite is giving your heart to the Lord. I hope that I'm speaking mostly to people that have done that, right? So I'm actually taking it the next step beyond that. But that's the first step is giving your heart to the Lord, accepting Christ as your Savior. But above and beyond that, then, you put on the whole armor of God, right? And I'm sure most of you probably know, know that armor. You've read that reference. So you put it all on, and then having done all of that, then you're able to stand. So it means that up until that point that you're, you're, you can't do it on your own. You have to have these things to be able to stand and say, you know what, these appetites, I, I, can, start to, I can start to walk away from those appetites. And I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but I'm saying that it's impossible without God and his armor. The next thing then, after we realize that we can do nothing to fix our appetite ourselves, the next thing then is to give our appetite over to God and develop a new appetite for God and his will. So we give our sinful appetite to God and we develop a new appetite for God and his will. The prodigal son didn't come back as a son. He came back as a servant. When he came back, his intent was to be a servant. He didn't come back demanding the rights of a son. He came back on his knees, so to speak. He walked, but you know, the, the idea was that he was on his knees, asking if he could simply be a servant. 
He knew he didn't deserve anything more than that. And that's where we have to be. We have to understand that we don't deserve anything. Yet God willingly gives it to us. James 4.8 promises that if we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. It says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So this is talk about cleansing from sin and cleansing from that old appetite. I'm going to go back to my story of my leg because I left you there in the hospital with me. So that was the hospital in Rome, Georgia. Rome, Georgia is the northeastern part of Georgia, and it's a long way from where I consider home. So there I am in the hospital with a broken leg, and the doctor says you have to have surgery. And then he went on further to say that um, I can't do the surgery today because it's too late in the day. Um, if you want to spend the night in the hospital, we could do surgery tomorrow for you on Sunday. Or I can cast that leg up just like it is and send you home, and then you can find a doctor down there, and he can do the surgery next week sometime. Well, I had been gone from my wife and family for the whole day, and so I said, let's cast that bad boy up. I'm going home, right? So, so they did. They put a cast on it, and, and I rode it up on the dash the whole way home. Uh, trust me, I wasn't driving, you know. So I'm sitting there, my legs up on the dash, and going the whole way home. And so I get home, and the next week I go into my doctor, to the doctor that I had found. It was like a sports doctor there, and he's oh, yeah, you messed this thing up bad. I said, thanks, doc. I didn't know that already. So, uh, so he said, um, you're going to have to. We're going to have to do some pretty intensive surgery on this thing. And so he went ahead and scheduled my surgery. And so they, they laid me there on the, on the table and you know, put me to sleep. And, and then I wake up. And, and when I wake up, they've got, they've got a, a six-inch plate right there that's got seven screws in it, just zipped all up to my bone. Got it all held in place. Remember I said earlier that there was nothing that I could do to fix my leg. But there was something that could be done to fix my leg. There was something that could be done. I had to go through surgery. Equally, we have to go through a, a spiritual surgery to get rid of those appetites. And it's not easy. It takes a little bit of cutting open. It takes a little bit. It's, there's, a lot of times there's pain. Now, trust me, with my leg, there was a lot of pain. I spent, I spent after they fixed the leg, then they, they put a cast on it for a while. And, of course, I had crutches. And so, I mean, my right leg got beefy because like, it was all my weight was on my right leg. And that's a decent amount of weight there, too. So, you know, I'm hobbling around on my right leg and crutches, you know. And, and so then after... After a while, they gave me a walking boot, but they said, ah, you still don't get to walk on it. It's just a walking boot. And I'm like, well, it's a walking boot. I should walk on it, right? Nope, you don't get to walk on it. You can, you can start to kind of put your toe down a little bit. So I did that. And then finally, they got to the point where they said, all right, all right, you're released from crutches now. You can, you can actually you can walk on this thing. Oh, the first step was so painful. Oh, it hurt so bad. I was like, no, doc, it's broke all over again. This isn't going to work. You know, it's a, it's, I'm sure it's completely broken down there. It hurts so bad. And, and so I was limping along, and, and soon I could put a little bit more weight on it and a little bit more weight. And then, then finally the day came where the doc said, all right, you can take the walking boot off. 
And so, so I, he had just told me, like, this given day, you can take it off, right? And so that morning I got up, and I took the walking boot off, and I put on my regular shoes, and I went to go to work, and I got, like, halfway to work, and I had to stop and throw up because my balance was so bad off because the walking boot and everything, my balance was so bad off from being on that walking boot for so long that it just threw me all off, and I got, I got nauseous and sick. It was crazy. So I tell you all that story to say that, that this process is not always painless, right? Giving up these appetites is not, is not always a painless thing. In fact, it rarely is painless. It often does involve pain. It's not an easy thing to go through. But God will change your appetites. Giving them over to God and, and giving him those sinful appetites and confessing those sinful appetites and asking for his help and putting on the whole armor of God will change, will begin to change your appetites. Um, Matthew 5, verse 6, this is, of course, the Sermon on the Mount, says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. See, it's, it's not so much just getting rid of the old appetites, but it's gaining new appetites. So you begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you might say, Ron, I don't really find myself hungering and thirsting after righteousness a lot. Well, how many of you got hungry when I ate the beef jerky, right? Yeah. How many of you wouldn't have minded to have your Mountain Dew of your own? Maybe y'all aren't Mountain Dew drinkers, right? Okay. So just, just seeing that and, and seeing that experience, right, began to make you think, man, that just like, that beef jerky, that sounded really tasty, right? Or, man, a Mountain Dew would be really good right now. Equally, as we begin to seek after God, he gives us continued appetites for him, right? So if you're not feeling hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you need to go ahead and just set in your mind, like, like ask, first of all, ask for God's help, but then start seeking after God. Spend more time in God's word. Spend more time praying. God will give you that appetite. God will give you that appetite. And I, still, I, I, don't, I don't tell you that it's easy, but it is very rewarding. It is very rewarding to not have to continue to suffer failure from sinful appetites. Interestingly enough, as we see with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, the woman of Samaria there, that, that where, um, where Jesus gave her water from the well, the only, the only thing that can truly fill our appetites the only thing that will fill us up and make us feel full inside is righteousness, is seeking after God. Those sinful appetites, it's going to taste fine now, but then soon that appetite is going to come right back. It doesn't fill up, right? God is the only thing that can fill that appetite, that can truly give you that peace inside, the, the lack of a need to continue to have more. And the worst part about sinful appetites is that sinful appetites, they not only don't go away, but they get worse. Sin has progressive appetites. So now instead of doing, next time instead of touching the poster, you're going to want to write on the poster. And then maybe after writing on the poster, you're going to want to tear the corner off, right? It gets worse. Because you touched it, and that eh, was fine. You know, you did what it said you weren't supposed to do, but then what next? And that's the way sinful appetites work. Interestingly enough, though, 
spiritual appetites can work the same way. And that's why I say that you hunger and thirst after righteousness. As you dig into God's word, you get hungrier for it. And so it progresses and you grow in that. So make sure that you're progressing the right direction. Make sure that your appetites are progressing the right direction. Psalm, in Psalm 43, verse 1 and 2, David says it so neatly, I think. Um, he says, or rather just verse 1, it says, As the heart or the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Is your soul longing for God like you longed for beef jerky or Mountain Dew? Or as a deer longs for water? If it's not, it should be. So it's time to start tuning that. I want to conclude this morning with a story. Um, it's another story from my childhood. When I was... Why do I even bother giving my age? I, because I'm so horrible with ages. I, I think I was maybe 11. Maybe 11 or 12, okay? So somewhere in that range. It was a very long time ago. You understand this is sometime between, you know, the time of the ark and now, right? You know, somewhere in that range. So I was, I think I was 11, maybe 12. I, for my birthday, I got a bike. But I want to rewind a little bit before my birthday first and tell you another story that goes along with this. I, we would take, from time to time, we would take our, our, garbage that was too big to put in the dumpster, you know, if we had big stuff, we would go to the landfill, and we would take it to the landfill. Well, the landfill there in Barnwell County, South Carolina, had a unique thing about it, and that is that right next to the landfill was the dog pound. I know, it seems weird, right? Put the dog by the trash, right? But anyway, so every time we would go to the landfill, we would beg my dad to go over there and look at these dogs that were, you know, that were captured or whatever. And so maybe a couple months before my birthday, we went over there, and, and we begged Dad to go, and she said, yeah, we can go. And, and so you know, we're looking at these dogs, and there's one just beautiful golden retriever Irish setter mix, just the prettiest, prettiest dog. And he looked so sad and forlorn there in the cage, and he was sweet, he was nice, he was obedient, seemed to be at least. And, and so we were like, Dad, can we have this dog? Please, can we have this dog? I think, I think it was actually me that was begging for it. I, I wanted a dog so bad. And I was like, Dad, can I have this dog? I really want this dog. Can I please have this dog? And, and so Dad checked the dog out. You know how dads do, you know, check their teeth or whatever it is. I don't know. But, right? So he said, yeah, yes, we can have this dog. Right? So we, we adopt this dog and we bring it home with him. And I named him Red because he had kind of pretty red fur, right? Well, the thing about Red was at first he wasn't quite sure what was home. He wanted to run. And, and he would kind of come back, but like we had neighbors that we were a little worried about. And so, so we had him on a, on a leash, like a runner leash, you know. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be entirely cruel and, you know, time to a tree, but he was on this runner leash, right? So he could go, he could get a little bit of space back and forth. And so my birthday came around and I get this bike. Uh, it's a 10-speed it's a bike. And up until that point, I had been riding uh, a pedal bike. And, you know, a pedal bike, the cool thing about a pedal bike is when you want to stop, you just pedal backwards. And this is it's great. It's, you know, it's a neat invention that they've got. Well, as it turns out, 10-speed bikes don't work that way. I had to, you know, they hadn't warned me. But anyway, so I'm, I go out and I get my dog and I put the dog on a leash, right? And, and so I've got the leash and I'm going to try, which was... 
Who in the world rides a bike for the first time with a dog on a leash in their hand? I don't know, but anyway, I'm like, I'm taking Red for a run. So I go out riding, and I'm riding along, and I'm coming toward the road. And, and the road, we were on a back road, so it wasn't really busy. But at the same time, I'm like, I probably shouldn't just zip onto the road. So I'm like, I should probably start thinking about stopping now. And so I pedaled backwards, and it didn't stop. And I was like, well, that's unique. <laughs> so... So I, I decided instead, I'm like, well, there has to be a way for this thing to stop. Well, my old bike, my old bike had one handle brake. It was just on the right side, just one. It was just that one. And I didn't think about the fact that this one had two. So I'm like, well, this one has one too. So since the back pedal brakes don't work, are broken on this bike or whatever, I'm going to use this brake. And so I just grabbed a whole handful of the right brake. And maybe it was a precursor to my dirt bike accident that was going to happen years later. But I went right over the front. Right over the front. Now, this dog, who I told you earlier, longed for freedom, had an appetite for freedom, wanted to be out there and running around, now was free. Because as it turns out, when you flip through the air, you let go of leashes. <laughs> okay? So this dog had the opportunity. You know what the dog did? Red... He ran a little bit because he was running, and then he saw that I had flipped, and he turned around, and he came back to me, and he started licking my face and making sure I was okay. Now, I'm telling you, when I went to Bible school years later, I, I, still, like, I still had that dog. And, and I, I actually, like, my, my first year Bible school pictures were of me with that dog because he was, like, my best buddy. And we, soon after that, not terribly long after that, that we moved, and so we moved to a farm where he could totally run freely. And I tell you this story to say that what are you going to do when your appetite is, is wanting to be filled and you want to run? You want freedom? You feel like that's the best thing for you because that's what your sin nature tells you to do. Are you going to run or are you going to turn back around and come to your master? Remember red. Remember the story of red next time you have an appetite. And instead of running, instead of filling that appetite, turn around and come to the master.